Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. For today, I have decided in this week's podcast, I'm going to take you through this excellent national survey that was done by the um, Telehealth Impact Physician Survey. This was done in November 16th of 2020. And I just want to walk through my interpretations of the survey and show all of you. And I think this was pretty exciting because it was brought together through American Medical Association, NCQA, and a lot of different stakeholders. And then the number of survey respondents was 1,594. And in fact, I also know that in some areas, other groups have then taken these survey questions and also asked these same questions in their state to their stakeholders. So I think it'll be interesting throughout 2021 to see more results come out that may have taken these survey questions broader, deeper, maybe within their own state, within their own organizations. But I want to walk people through as we're really thinking about what are our next steps in telehealth? Where were we prior to the pandemic? What have we learned through this time period? And then how do we really put ourselves forward for this digital transformation? So for today's Sam Talks Telehealth, we're reviewing a national survey that came out November 2020. And I'm going to take you through and do some analysis for those of you who may have seen the results but hadn't really had a chance to dig in on your own. So first up, let's look at how long have people been using telehealth? And I think it's important here, if we look at the date of more than 12 months, more than 12 months would really have been pre-pandemic. And so I think it's very important that we see how many people used it uh, prior to the pandemic. And I think another important thing this survey doesn't dig into, but it'd be interesting of the people who used it pre-pandemic, what was really the mix? How, you know, was it a couple doctors? Was it a couple service lines? Was it a here or there? But we really see for the four to six months, that's really the major factor, 60, you know, average 60%. And then I like the survey again, it's divi divided between urban, rural, and suburban. So really 60% of the telemedicine that's been going on has happened since the pandemic started. The question about the EMR, what interests me here is just the fact there's a lot of people that's not integrated in the EMR. And my experience in working with clinicians over, you know, the last decade is the EMR is absolutely useful, but it has to be a good application. For example, if it's glitchy, if it doesn't click through right, if you have, you know, five extra clicks, then the value of it being inside the EMR and I think sometimes uh, telehealth technology in this, I would imagine they're thinking in the context of video, it needs to work well. So we've got about, you know, say average 35%, but the majority of people are not inside the EMR. And then you have some people who say, I don't know, my guess is if you don't know, it's probably not inside the EMR. Then they're actually asking them, what are you using to access the telehealth? And I think what's important here is we see, you know, Zoom out as a front runner, but we do see audio only. And so I think this is important because when we think about telehealth, if we're thinking about it in the audio or video context, this question allows people to choose all that would apply. So obviously, Zoom is probably more likely to be video. But of course, someone could just not turn on their video and you still be in a Zoom. And then you have audio only telephone. And we have 30% there. And then a variety of different kinds of vendors. So um, and then I think it is important. We know during the public health emergency, we've got waivers on HIPAA. So we do see 
see, you know, a solid, say, 18% using FaceTime. And we don't see, you know, it's not that urban or rural in terms of a higher percentage of people using FaceTime. It's about the same. So that's also interesting to me in the context of connectivity, um, cellular coverage, that really when we talk about that connectivity, you don't have a big difference between FaceTime if urban and rural users. And then we see a variety of other things here. Um, this question, where you've conducted telemedicine, less interesting to me. This is about where the cl clinician is, so uh, not as interesting. But here I like, which of the following types of telehealth are you using to provide clinical care? Choose all that apply. Again, I think it's incredibly important when we think about how lawmakers are approaching it. Also, when we think about how are you, whether in the States or um, other parts of the world, how will your telehealth program continue to grow and really integrate in Inside your practice. And here we see that we've got this definitely, you know, 80, let's put it at a, a strong high, um, strong 80% are using video visits from patients to their home. But we also see a solid 70% are using telephone audio only with patients. So if you can choose all that apply, that means a lot of people who are doing video are also using telephone. Much smaller percentage of where the patient is actually in and out patient clinic. And so again, in a very important factor, this is a US-based survey. But what we see is the major difference that was allowable during the pandemic was to be able to have a video visit or a telehealth visit, audio only is allowed also from a patient's home. What we see is if we're looking at this from a lawmaker context, and again, whether you're in the US or in the rest of the world, if people are really, if the space that we're really doing the interactive video visit is from a patient in their home, then if the um, ability to get reimbursed for that service from a patient home goes away, then obviously this will stop too. And so there, there is at times this idea we have to remember if we don't pay for the service or pay for the service at a level of parity, then we will disincentivize that service to happen. So strong majority there. Uh, outpatient clinic, only about, we put that at average 26%, sort of got a 29, a 23. Um, and again, 29, 27, this is the urban number, this is the rural number. So it's not like way more rural people are doing their video visits from an outpatient clinic. We see um, asynchronous remote patient monitoring, still very small percentage. That's a 10% um, of people. So although the remote monitoring um, funding and reimbursement and growth of the market is very big, we still see it's a very small slice of the overall quote unquote, telehealth pie. Um, hospitalized patients, also a very small number. We do see a little bit higher number in rural, which would make sense if we think about different kinds of specialty care or access to clinicians that you might not have. But this is not a big difference. So if you really were to think, oh, the rural patients need this so much more, then my interpretation would be that number should be far higher. Uh, clinician to clinician, uh, really, again, small numbers, 10, 12, a little bit less less than that. Um, remote patient monitoring in a care facility, very small numbers, 5%. And again, not always the way we would think about using um, remote patient monitoring and then live interactive. Now, right here, let's just take a look and go over to the medical specialty part of this. And here, this is really broken into 
um, behavioral health apparently is really all that we're looking at here. And I just, again, like to compare the different things we see from behavioral health is what's broken out and then everything else. So behavioral health, 88% video, but we still have a strong 64% using audio. In an outpatient clinic, we actually see on the medical specialty side that is higher than we have on the behavioral mental health side. Um, asynchronous, again, higher in medical sides and remote patient monitoring. It's actually um, higher than I would have thought it would be even at 5%. There's not a lot of uh, re the reimbursement can be harder to figure out in behavioral health and remote patient monitoring. But again, so I like to see those comparisons of how they're working. Let's flip back over to this area. Okay, so these are important questions about what do you anticipate are gonna be the barriers and challenges to keep going after COVID? And really, of course, that question of after COVID means once the public health emergency has gone away, what's gonna be most important to you? Look, everybody, not surprised to any of us, low or no reimbursement. So again, it doesn't matter if you're in the States or in other countries, in the States in the context is, we must have the same reimbursement to allow to continue video visits because the reality that we have for reimbursement is if you pay less for telehealth, then providers need to collect revenue and they will just have those patients come in in person. You will disincentivize it. Telehealth at this time is not a cost saving to the clinician. It's a time saver to patients and could be a cost saver to patients in the sense of less time off of work, less time needing to do these other things. But I think it's very, very important that we really be clear about what do people is biggest concern. Now they can choose all that apply. There are technology challenges with their patients. And I think that speaks a lot to the digital literacy and things like that. What we've seen, we really need to grow that for our patients. There's, you know, 30, 35% are concerned about liability. 30% would like more integration with their EMR, integration with additional technologies. And then we've got a strong, you know, we're averaged here 20, probably 26% on telehealth specific workflows. And I think that's incredibly important because if you started programs really quickly, you didn't really have the opportunity to have really designed, well-designed workflows. And now's really that time that we need to go back and say, okay, what's my digital literacy and education for my patients? And how do I make sure I have telehealth workflows, especially that are going to work in a hybrid model. I have an in-person and a out, um, in-person and telehealth. How do I bring those together? Lack of technical support. We're at a strong, you know, 28% here. And I think this is really important. And that technical support can be for uh, providers and for patients. Uh, clinician dissatisfaction. Uh, we've got, I'd say we're at about 20, probably 25% when we average the two. And here, I think what's important here is really being able to, if we could go back and give technical support, if 28% are annoyed about technical support, then of course, some of that dissatisfaction, there'll be clinical dissatisfactions. I don't, I'm not, you know, negating that, but I think if we can solve workflows, patient um, patient ability to connect, provider ability to connect, we can certainly reduce clinical uh, dissatisfaction. There's concern about cost and maintenance of telehealth platforms, very um, real costs. Here, rural does, it's about a 10% higher. And I could see that because um, especially if broadband's more expensive, their IT might be outsourced, there may be more burden on them to really be able to do that. 
Uh, low patient engagement. Um, interestingly, again, that comes up a bit more in the rural area. And so again, I think we can do more. Um, I think we do more education there. Licensure, uh, and that comes up more in urban, which doesn't surprise me because urban area is more likely to be an area that you would have specialists and people that would be practicing across state lines. So they would be more um, concerned with that. Now, I love these people down here. I do not anticipate any barriers. They, these are positive, you know, going for it kind of people. And then, um, then we go into what do you perceive the barriers for your patients? And a, a lack in access to technology or high digital literacy, which we talked about, access to broadband, uh, patient preference to in, uh, in person. And again, 50, it's said, well, we're averaging here about 59%. So again, I think we'll see what that really bears out over time. Lack of understanding and awareness. Um, so I think that's a good different kinds of insights. Um, here we go into different levels of use. And what they're really asking is, what did you do pre-pandemic? How many telehealth visits? And what you see is the majority, it was tiny, 92% was really average during a week was zero to five. I mean, that's like nothing if you think about the volume in a practice. And here, then we say, um, Post pandemic, what'd you go to? And all of a sudden we're more at 20, um, 20 or more, uh, a solid 39%. And then we start to go up to 25%. So we really see those numbers really, really climb. And then after the pandemic, when volume of delivery of telehealth was at its highest point, what percentage did you do? And we see people, um, you know, say about 50% were really over 75%. Rural was actually higher, which um, actually surprises me a little. That surprises me. I actually thought urban would be higher. So I think that's interesting of seeing at the height, more than 75%. We know now at the time of this recording, we're in uh, end of June, 2021, and people are back down to about a I don't know, maybe 20%. I think we all forecast that probably about the right number will end at about a 30%. Again, that'll have uh, reimbursement will have great, great bearing on that. Um, okay, let's go a little bit into type of services, which I think is fun. So chronic disease management, lots of high numbers here. Now, I'd be really interested to know what does that mean? But I think those could be your follow-up patients, all these different kinds of things. Med management, care coordination. This is actually, this had surprised me and, and delighted at the same time, because if we have an average of say 64% using it for care coordination. If we also know that care coordination is not a reimbursable expense, then my question would be, this should certainly remain, right? This allows you to have access people. This allows you to coordinate things. So I think that's great. Preventative care at a high number. And again, I really want to call out as you're looking at this, as I'm going through it, when we see this mix between urban, suburban, and rural, there are a few places that there's a big difference between urban and rural. And I think that's important that we continue to call that out. Uh, mental behavioral health here, we do see a higher number in rural. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if that would be the same as in-person because you're always going to have less resources in the rural environment. Now, they're asking about remote sensing technologies. What, if any, remote sensing technologies are helping you provide better care for your patients via telehealth? Look at this. Smartphone camera, 43%. That's basic, right? That's not even wearables. That's a real basic thing. 
blood pressure cuffs, um, blood uh, body scales, pulse socks. So here, these are, again, real basic things. The question isn't asking, is this integrated? Is it Bluetooth? But it's saying, what are you using? And so knowing that we've got these solid, you know, 20 plus percent using these, we can also look and say, oh, cool. Then how do we start to bring that into our full continuum of care as we're able to go back to a in-person tele-hybrid kind of model? All right, then they ask what kind of, um, how do you review the data that you're getting from these remote sensing technologies? And I think that's what's important here. This is not Bluetooth at this point. This is pretty low tech. Patients are verbally confirming it back. That's at a solid 39%. Patients share the data with me by email. So we've got another about 20% there, um, a dashboard through report. And then really technology feeds directly into our patient portal. That's a tiny percentage. That's at this 8% very small. So again, I think what's important, I'm not saying we don't want these things integrated, but what we can see is we're able to do it when it's not integrated. And how can we now go back and do some great care redesign? Um, and then are remote monitoring technologies more valuable to patient care if they're connected to the internet? And obviously some resounding yes is here, but then some honest like, I don't really know. And I think that's a reasonable answer because one, that question could be interpreted in different ways. And so that would be something we would look like, what else? Now the sentiment section, I'm a big fan of, and this is really just allowing us to see what do people think? I always want to call out, you know, we've been doing telehealth for over, you know, 10, 15 years, depending on where you are, someplace 20 years. And so we do have a lot of data efficacy literature that shows provider satisfaction, patient satisfaction um, in all areas, whether it's behavioral health, remote patient monitoring, video visits, other medical specialties. It's important though that we're asking the question, though I always want to caution, um, we, I would love us to move past provider patient satisfaction and keep moving down on further sentiments or actual um, health quality data. But this is great because we're getting the perspective of people who really started telemedicine literally when the pandemic starts. So this is like a fresh perspective of people. And so here the question, telehealth enables me to deliver quality care for COVID-19 related care. And most people are in that strongly agree. So what we're focusing on here is what, how much, what percentage do we have of like not agree? And again, I want to call out rural is actually even higher percentage of strongly agree than we see in this urban area. So I think that's very interesting. Um, telehealth enables me to deliver quality care for acute care. Um, again, very consistent across here and definitely from the neutral to strongly agree, a much higher, higher percentage enables me to deliver um, quality care for chronic disease management. We see this strongly agree is very high. And again, if we think back what we saw up farther in the, in the survey was the question was, how are you using it? And really the highest number was for chronic disease management. And I think what's important here as we look across our care continuum and we really move into a full digital transformation, we can ask ourselves, how much of my chronic disease management should I be doing at a distance? How much of it can I be doing virtually? And really thinking through, because we see I was using it to, during the pandemic and I strongly agree that it enables me to be able to do it. So let's bring those two things together and really design strategies, workflows, and a care redesign that matches to that. 
Preventative care, again, numbers are quite high in terms of agree and strongly agree. So what preventative care could be done virtually? Uh, telehealth helps me do periop procedures. So here, a um, little bit smaller, smaller percentages, but I think what's important is if we know we have some 17s, some 14s, rurals are down in the nine, let's figure out what were those areas and how can we capitalize on that? Do those areas actually allow us to train into other areas that could be super beneficial. Uh, allows me to follow up through hospital and ED follow up. Again, high numbers here. If we think from agree and strongly agree, here we're at, you know, almost 60%. And in the rurals, we're at a, uh, 55%. So if we, if we think of the concept again, I want you all thinking in what's the entire, not this, I have a silo of tele here and a, and a pocket of in person there. I want you to think about, if I know that care coordination is highly successful and I've done a lot of it and I strongly uh, agree and strongly agree that I can deliver quality care for hospital ED follow-up. Well, care coordination and hospital ED follow-up, those go hand in hand, right? So how do we actually make this part of our standard operating procedures? How do we make this a workflow that when I visit an ED, I then am triggered that I'm, I then have a cue that then says, hey, reach out and do a tele-care coordination of visit, whatever that looks like for you. I want us to, when we read information like this, when we see surveys like this, we start to think about what's my digital transformation? What's my care redesign? As opposed to now I'm open, now I go back to per in-person, change is hard. I'm not sure about that tele-thing. Let's look at it much more in a comprehensive um, system. And again, how does it match my... Um, care continuum. And then we go straight down to the next question. I can deliver quality care coordination. Well, these numbers are huge. So how do we actually just make that standard of what we do? Behavioral health, again, strong numbers here and rurals actually come out higher numbers. Um, again, doesn't totally surprise me. They also had higher numbers of behavioral health being served from there. Med reconciliation. Um, I'm a big fan of med reconciliation and I like to go one step further and talk about med adherence and med interactions. So telehealth, great way to do med reconciliation. But if we take that one step further and we think about how do we interact with a pharmacist, right? How do we bring a pharmacist into our care team to really be able to look at med interaction, med adherence, and really getting people, um, we have so many people with polypharmacy. So how can we use the pharmacists inside of our care team and in this tele environment, because now we don't need them everywhere. We can have them virtually serving patients. And we know the more we can straighten out um, meds and get you on appropriate meds, then you can reduce side effects and some other things. Um, telehealth has helped improve the health of my patients. We've got, you know, some, we're about 50, you know, let's give it a, yeah, sometimes as high as 60 uh, percent that they agree and strongly agree. Now in the rurals, we've got some like mm, strongly disagree and neutral to it. So we, in both areas, we have like a solid 30% neutral. And so for me, I'd be super inspired to understand what is that? Like which pieces did improve, which piece didn't, where do we strongly disagree? So we can look at that and decide, um, how do we work towards that or which ones that for now of where we are with the technology and maybe where we are with healthcare that we know eh, we're not so into that, but these other areas can be very expansive. Um, 
improve the safety of my patients. These numbers are incredibly high. And so this concept of, you know, I don't know about telehealth. I'm not sure how that's going to affect safety. We can see right here, the clinicians are saying that's really not an issue for them. Timeliness of care for my patients. Again, I think this is incredibly telling. Um, definitely the numbers are higher in, in urban, low urban, suburban, lower in rural. And so some things I would be interested to know there is that, um, is that because of the technology? Is that actually because of capacity? What's that all about? But I think these show that the value of virtual care for timeliness is, is well, um, well laid out there. Improve the cost of care for my patients. Uh, we've got these 50%. Again, I would, I look at improved cost of care for patients really around transportation and time. And I think especially as we do need to go back to work, we're getting this, we're coming back into offices, kids are back in school, things like that, is how do we actually continue to capture those costs, whether it's time or dollars for our patients? Telehealth has improved the financial health of my practice. Um, here again, we run uh, higher in the rural, suburban, urban. And let's be real, this is because there's reimbursement for it. So if you had to stop your business, but you could still have revenue coming in through telehealth, of course, that's gonna improve the financial health of your practice. If the reimbursement goes away or is less than in person, then in fact, that question becomes opposite. It would actually be a hindrance to the financial health of your practice. And then work satisfaction. I think it's incredibly important. This was, you know, 1,594 people answered it. Um, a majority of them were clinicians. We know we have massive clinician burnout problems for so, so many reasons. But if something like this, even at the low side of 45%, if we know that telehealth can improve 45% of clinician satisfaction with work, then in my opinion, we better get on it. We already know we have a provider shortage issue, which is only gonna be increasing strain through what's happened through the pandemic. And we know we have a burnout problem. And so if we literally have people saying, this has improved the satisfaction of my work, then why wouldn't we continue to do that? All right, better access to care since our practice began using telemedicine. Again, very high numbers and very important because we know access is always, always an issue. And again, not too vastly different between urban and rural, maybe maybe 10, 10% higher. But I think, again, that's very, very important. Um, easy for me to learn how to use, so that is high. But at the same time, we do see that providers are saying they want support in workflows, they want support in tech support, and they want more support for their patients. So easy to use, but um, we definitely see wanting some more uh, support. My patients have reacted favorably to leveraging telemedicine. I mean, look at the numbers on these. It's incredibly high, urban and rural. And I think that's incredibly important. We're not asking, we're not asking um, patient satisfaction. This is not a patient survey, but again, patient satisfaction within telehealth has been well documented. But this is the provider's perception, which again, I think is incredibly important. Um, now, it will be easy to continue using telehealth in a way that is financially viable for my practice. Now here the numbers drop so in, in um, rural, they go down to about 32%. In urban, we come at like a 45%. So I think um, knowing 
if it's financially viable, then I think it's great. Um, if it's not financially viable, we're going to have a problem. But this is a great question. I'm personally motivated to increase the use of telehealth in my practice. I mean, in the urban areas, that's 71%. That's huge. And even if we look, uh, there is a significant difference here, but rural, that's 53%. Now, 53% of people are motivated, then that again is important because we have this change maker and this momentum that's um, going through. And then they did ask a question about leadership and understanding the leadership side of things. So I think that's also important for us to know. Um, at, you know, understanding who filled this out, the different people that were here, um, pretty good split between male, female uh, filling it out, asking which part of the country they're in, and then best describing you, super important everybody. 86% were MDDOs, MBBS, our advanced practice uh, brought up another, oh, maybe 10%. And then we had other. So this is really answered by our physicians. And I think that's incredibly important for us to know the different kinds of practices from teaching hospitals to physician's office to large multi-specialty groups. And then also understanding what kind of uh, value-based care models. So if we were to look at this from a, a standpoint of if reimbursement went away, how could you still get some of those benefits? Now, I'm not an advocate for that because trying to carve out all these different people is a challenge, but we do see we've got about 35% in different kinds of ACO models or advanced, advanced uh, payment models, which could allow some space for that. But I want to stress again, not an advocate for that. I think we should have uh, parity on payment and at least for a couple of years. And then you could go back and study the ramifications of it um, and see what that would look like. Which payers we see again, they take all different kinds of payers. And so I think that's incredibly important and um, understanding. So I had such a fun time having a chance to go through this because I wanted to take this time to really do it as my interpretation of this survey. It's been um, amazing to see so many people respond in such a um, great way and that it really be physician led. And then in some of the work, other work I've done within, within my business, I've been able to see how other organizations are then taking this same survey and leveraging it either at a state level or an organizational level. And the more data we can get like this, the more we can understand. So I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. That wraps it up for today. Be sure you go ahead and like the podcast, follow us so you know when uh, new shows are dropped. They're always dropped on uh, Tuesdays every other week. I'm excited to have you back next time on Sam Talks Telehealth. Be sure to give a like, comment below, and we'll love to see you back here on the show. Have a great day, everybody.